52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. There are certain words in the dictionary where after the definition, it would be really helpful to see another entry, one that explains how to survive it. Words such as earthquake, cancer, and bankruptcy. Another such word is adversity, which is defined as a state of hardship, difficulty, or misfortune that one has to deal with in life. As the definition states, it is something we have to deal with. Having to face one hardship is challenging enough, but life is not so simple most of the time. Facing multiple hardships simultaneously can be enough to break even the toughest of people. Here to share his story of how facing the perfect storm of adversity affected his overall health and well-being is Drew Duraney. Drew spent 24 years serving others in the healthcare hospital industry, all the while trying to figure out what his true purpose really was. It wasn't until he came through the other side of experiencing four major life stressors in rapid succession that he did just that. At 54 years old, this single father of three is dedicating his life to helping men come through their challenges with adversity by offering the proper support network absent from his own journey. As the Chief Resilience Officer of Profit Compassion, Drew is building a community of like-minded men who lean on each other, offering a healthier, more empowering path to the other side of adversity. Welcome to the HealthAbility Project, Drew. I'm really glad to have you here today. No, it's my pleasure, Robin. Thank you for having me. So you and I have spoken already about your story of adversity, and it really does seem to be more than anybody can handle. Can you tell us what happened? It seems that you had multiple hardships come in rapid fire succession. You know, what happened? That's a good question. And I ask myself that almost every day. Uh, what happened? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, I mean, it starts out, I guess, with my divorce. And I tell people that I was blindsided. And people wonder, how can you be blindsided by a divorce? I'm the type of person where you got to tell me point blank. You got to hit me between the eyes with something. You can't, there, you can't be any sugarcoating beating around the bush. So there were, yeah, there were, I'm sure there were red, red flags and signs in the marriage and I didn't see them. So it's really started out with the with learning that my wife wanted wanted the divorce and we were in mediation for three years because we had three kids didn't want to go through the court system. So we anything we did was really for the benefit of the kids. So it was a long drawn out process for the right reasons in during that those three years, though, obviously emotions are running high and I made quite a lot of decisions based on emotion that I thought at the time with mental capacity I had at the time were, were good uh, ideas, <laughs> good decisions, and turned out not to be the best. So that that was really the start of it. And when the divorce was final in April of 18, I was ready to rise. You know, I'm ready to turning 50 years old in October of that year, and everything was looking great, right? 
And what happened two weeks later, I was let go from my job at the hospital. I had submitted a HIPAA violation, the person who reported to me accidentally allowed patient info to be discarded permanently. And uh, I was asked to hold off on reporting it until I had all the information, which was going to be impossible. So I reported anyway, because I always do the right thing without, you know, even when no one's watching. And two weeks later, probably on the 29th of October of 2018, I was let go from my job. Mm -hmm. And seven weeks later, that manager was elevated to my old position. <laughs> and so realizing that you can get in trouble. Yeah. How did that make you feel? I hate to say I was kind of not surprised. The healthcare industry has changed so much. I was in healthcare for 24 years and it has changed to quite cutthroat. And so, but really at the core, I was sick of, as I got closer to the top, getting in trouble for doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And, okay. you know, when you find yourself, you, you need to be your authentic self. And too often we're asked to compromise. So it was later in your career that you, like so many of us, came to the realization that you really need to be your authentic self. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I probably knew it all along, but we don't know what's on the other side of trying to do that. So right. I guess out of fear or apprehension or uncertainty, we don't do it. Right. So you've weathered three years of mediation and divorce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some decisions that were made in an emotional foundation, which is, you know, it happens to all of us, right? We make the best right. decisions we can at the time we're in the situation. Yeah. And hindsight is twenty twenty, as we know. Yeah. So you then have this experience of being let go from your job, from basically right. doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then what? Well, then uh, 10 days after that, um, I was bringing my son, who was 14 at the time, to his therapy session. And usually he likes me to come in with him with the therapist. This time he said, Dad, I'd like you to wait in the waiting room which I thought was progression, right? So 10 minutes later, the therapist comes out of the room crying, asks me to come in. My son says, I'm sorry, daddy, and gives me a hug and he's crying. So I'm like, what's going on? Therapist said that she could tell he wasn't himself and she had to ask the question, can you promise me you won't harm yourself in the next two weeks? And he told her, I cannot promise that. Mm. Turned out he did make a, um, I didn't say a superficial attempt at mm -hmm. hurting himself uh, the night before. And I was in the next room again, blindsided. And um, thankfully, you know, if he wanted to do a lot of harm, we had sharper stuff in the house. Thank mm -hmm. God it was an electric razor mm -hmm. and he was on the phone with his girlfriend. So he attributes her uh, for, you know, for talking him down. But that's really the big picture is the, the, the mental health issues with children. And so we had to bring him to the, ER, psychological evaluation. It was released to me. And then I realized that's why I was kind of pushed out of healthcare. I needed to be with my son, you know. Um, mm. You know, I was focusing a lot on work at the time. And perhaps uh, that could have, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you, you don't know why. But I, we, 40 days um, it took to find a place for, to be able to help him. And so I told him my job as a dad is to, is to be, you know, to keep you safe and so that was from october 29 to december 8th and as we were dropping them off on the 8th my parents came with us they had helped raise the kids during during the marriage you know and all that now i lived about a mile and a half away they came up and as we're ready to leave 
they were sitting in the waiting room and my son comes up to me and hugs me. He's crying. I'm crying. And he says, I hope nothing happens to them while I'm here. And, you know, just like any other parent would say, oh, nothing's going to happen. They're going to be fine. Your health is more important. Focus on that. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to December 23rd of 2018. We were going to be going up to visit him on Christmas Eve the next day. My parents were going to come and I called my mom the night before and she, I said, no, you know, I'll call you guys tomorrow, pick you up. And she said, well, I don't know if that's going to be work because your father's not feeling well. He's come out of the bathroom. He's lying in bed. His stomach is killing him and he won't let me take him to the hospital. And I said, okay, well, I'll call you the next morning. I call the next morning and I said, how's dad doing? My mom says, not too good. He's in an ambulance. So I drive over there. He was already in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. I followed the ER. He had strained on in the bathroom and burst his bowel and went septic shock to go through multiple surgeries. And um, on Saturday, January 12th, they were going up to visit my son. Mm. Um, we were told by the therapist up at the place that, that Nick had earned hours and they're letting us have 11 hours to bring him to go see his grandfather in the hospital. So we were able to drive him back. And as I said to my father, I said, you know, Nick's here. And my dad didn't believe it. All he could do at the time was shake his head mm. slowly. And when Nick came out from behind me, my dad had a crooked smile and tear came down his left eye and they embraced. We had to bring Nick back up that night and next morning my dad passed away. And so somehow my son foreshadowed something was going to happen to one of his grandparents. So it was at that point with all that, I kind of wanted to cave in. I I was done. <laughs> that's, that's a lot to carry. That's yeah. a lot to carry, you know, and, and just... Just a mixture of emotion, really opposite ends of the spectrum. You, yeah. Your wife comes forward, you're blindsided, wanting to get a divorce. That's one set of emotions, maybe yeah. rejection or mm -hmm. failure. or And now you have this worry with your son, and it's more mm -hmm. of like an, an adrenaline-infused set of emotions. You know, it's, it's interesting because when... First, you got the divorce piece. So now, am I a failure as a husband? And then you have this stuff going on with your son. Now, am I a failure as a parent? So as, as, a, as a man who believes that he should be strong and be the best version he can be of himself, at the time, I was thinking I failed the marriage. I'm failing my kids, right? Then my dad, who was my number one male role model mentor, is gone. And I'm like, okay, you know, what's next? I think, I think God, I think he gave me enough I can handle mm. right now. Mm. You know, so yeah, there was a ton of self, forget the self-love. That was gone, self-confidence. Oh, yeah, all that. I mean, it was basically shaken to my core. Right. Yeah. Well, they, they also say that, you know, when, when faced with hardship, it causes you to come face to face with, with who you are and, and maybe who mm -hmm. you're not. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you have that kind of revelation at any point in time or was it much further mm -hmm. down the road? I I'd say at, definitely not at that time. What, what forced me to move forward towards a coping stage as opposed to caving in and giving up was the face of my three kids because I know that the children emulate 
the behavior of their parents, whether it's by word or by deed. Mm-hmm. And what really got me is I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, what really? You talk, you, you're worried about being a failure of a parent? What would it be if you, you know, you give up in, in any way, shape or form? You just, just give up. What are you teaching your kids how do you handle adversity? And it was so it was a combination of that and really knowing my mom needed me to be strong because this was a love of her life for 53 years who's gone, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather her lean on me for support than somebody else. So I I did it really not for myself. I did it for the kids and for my mom. Probably would have been healthier to do it for myself as well because if I can't take care of myself, how the heck am I going to take care of other people? Right. But that's how I got through it. I mean, I basically, you talk about adrenaline and any kind of, you know, any kind of chemical in my yeah. brain that could get me through to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it was just later on when all of a sudden you realize, wow. And I think sometimes, too, when we are in situations that just seem beyond a weight that we can bear to carry, that being motivated for someone else is really mm. the catalyst that gets yeah. you to start climbing out of that hole that you're yeah. in. Absolutely, because if you try to turn within yourself, the only voices in my head were me <laughs> saying, Drew, all this stuff happening, you must have done something wrong. But yes, yeah, so yeah, I could not at that point turn within to get myself out. I had to look outside to move myself on and that it really did help and I started doing something I never done before I started talking to my dad even though he wasn't alive anymore Hmm. Um, granted in the beginning I was I was really angry at him why the heck did you leave this is this is crazy and you know mom wants you know then realizing that uh, it probably wasn't his choice to do so let me kind of reframe that but uh it was down the road I've always wanted to write a book, Robin, and I never had the content for it. And then I realized, you know, I want to do something about resiliency, right? Because that way, by telling my story, I could provide inspiration and hope. Now, I was not in the mental state to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I had just bought a franchise after my dad passed away because I wanted to own my own company after all the, the, the hospital stuff. And then the pandemic hit and I'm like, fell in victim mode again, right? You're like, well, what was me? And I realized I better start talking to a lot of people if I'm going to get clients. And if I can't talk to them face to face, I'm going to use this thing called Zoom, which I didn't really (laughs) know about, right? Right. So I find out that there's so many of these virtual networking events across the world. Forget just in New Jersey where I live, the world. And in April of last year, I'm on one of probably the, I don't know, I don't know how many I was on that day. I'm at this networking event and it's actually out in, it's in London. The host was in London, England. Mm-hmm. And this woman's on and she's a coach and she doesn't call herself any other coach other than coach because she's like a business coach, a mindset coach, all this. Mm-hmm. But the thing she was talking about was, the book creator, how to write a book in 90 days without writing a word. And I'm like, that's right up my alley because I didn't want the old fashioned way. So meeting her, it was, this would have been part of our sessions. That's how we're doing the book. 
and it was April of last year, and it's going to be launched in January of this year, of next year. And that's what caused me to get through coping stage, and now I'm evolving, and soon I'll be transforming into something, person very different from I could ever imagine. So this book seems to be a tool for which you've been able to process all of this adversity, maybe do some reflection and introspection and, uh, you know, inspiration for moving forward. Um, You know, you mentioned earlier going from caving into coping, and Mm -hmm. I, I would like for you to just talk a little bit about the caving in. What was that like and how did you move on from that? Absolutely. And what's really interesting is just I've been able to put together something I call the COPE paradigm for overcoming adversity. And, you know, COPE is an acronym for clarity, opportunity, progression, and evolution. So picture this. You have an external circumstance that happens. Okay, that could be the divorce, it could be the death of a loved one, whatever. It's going to be dependent on your current mindset, whether that external circumstance turns into adversity, or just remains as another life event you have to get through. Mm -hmm. My mental state at that time, especially having four of those external circumstances happen in a concentrated period of time, I saw those as major adversities, each one of them. So that started when you have an external circumstance, then you go into crisis management, right? How am I going to manage these crises? I went right into the caving in stage, which I want to, I want to give up. This is ridiculous. I can't handle this. Why is all this stuff happening? It's just so much easier just to say, forget it and move on. Whatever that means, forget it, move on. Could you move to another island by yourself or whatever you want to? And so I see like, I see like this process in stages. You can go from, you can go from crisis management to caving in, or some people go right from crises to coping. Mm. I started in the caving in. Now, how the heck can I go from wanting to give up the caving in stage and get to the coping stage? And that comes where I have the cope paradigm that you have to start with clarity at some point in time. There's got to be some kind of clarity in your head, not necessarily why this happened, but how you're going to move forward. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know how I did it specifically, but I gained clarity or and I gained clarity, whether it was my kids, my mother, I gained clarity Mm -hmm. at that time that Drew, you have a lot more to offer Mm -hmm. this world moving forward than you would if you gave up and and so i went from that 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 clarity piece moves me from the caving in stage mm-hmm. to the beginning of the coping stage mm-hmm. now i i see the coping stage as an iterative process because i in my book i talk about caving in to coping to crushing it mm-hmm. and ultimately you want to get to the end stage of crushing it which is a transformation in mm-hmm. your life, kind of like Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the self-actualization. Mm-hmm. But to get from to get there after the clarity, there are going to be things that come up that you can either see as barriers or opportunities. Once you have clarity, 
you start to see those challenges as opportunities, not mm -hmm. barriers. Right. All right. And then, then the next step is you see those opportunities. Now you got to seize them and you got to act on those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that's the O in COPE. So clarity, opportunities. Once you start acting on those opportunities, you're giving yourself a chance or an opportunity to evolve, right? Mm -hmm. You have evolution. And, and, but before you get to evolution, you've got to progress, right? You can't mm -hmm. go just from an opportunity, right? So C, O, P is progression. Mm -hmm. So once you start acting on those opportunities, you start to progress mm -hmm. internally and you start to move forward towards an evolution stage. And I started to evolve towards the end of the coping stage. And the next stage is crushing it. Now, I'm not completely done with my evolution. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain they're certainly not in the crushing it stage, which is transformation. I'm moving towards it. And the the more I get towards the end of the coping stage, the, the more accelerated I'm getting. The vision is there. My purpose mm -hmm. is there. And no man or woman should have to go through what the thoughts I had in my head mm -hmm. when I was in the caving in yeah. stage. And so that's really where I'm at now that uh, if I can tell my story, um, and give people some hope and inspiration that there's, yeah. you can get stronger after this yeah. stuff. And that's what I'm going to do. The way that you break it down in this paradigm that you've created is really a great benchmark for people to use because, you know, we've all been there where we just can't think straight and we're just so wounded or whatever it may be. And just to be able to even look at a piece of paper with the steps on it and think, okay, and set little uh, goals for yourself to get you out of the hole that you're in slowly, but surely I would think that would be very um, inspirational and, and a great support tool for people. What, what are you doing now? Tell us about profit compassion. Absolutely. So what was interesting is the, uh, about a month before my dad got sick, you know, I was over at his house, for his birthday, this is November 30th of uh, 2018. And my dad was the kind of guy who, he showed his emotion with hugs and, mm -hmm. and kisses and he didn't really like to be emotional words. So he's the kind of guy that when he gave you advice or he said something, you, you kind of listen. And I remember being in a house, I kissed him goodbye, I was gonna leave. And he said, hold on a second, I just wanna tell you I'm proud of you, Drew. And I said, thanks dad, I kind of knew that, why are you? He goes, I don't know how you, I don't know how you're doing it. First the divorce, then the hospital crap, and now the stuff with Nikki, and you're still there for Matthew and Emma taking care of them every day, and you come by every day to check on your mother and me. I know you've always wanted to own your own company, and I know I told you, don't take the risk. My dad was with IBM for 35 years. He was okay. an IBMer. Yep. You, you yep. He said, look, after everything you've gone through, if you want to start your own company, you know your mother and I will support you any way possible. And even at 50 years old, I needed to hear that. That was my blessing. And... So as soon as he said that, I created Profit Compassion. I wanted to start a healthcare consulting company educating the caregivers on how to communicate effectively with patients and families. Um, because there was a landmark study done in the 90s called To Err is Human, which said about 90% of medical errors are due to poor communication. Wow. So in my head, if I can help enhance communication, I can help reduce medical errors. So that was going to be the cornerstone of Profit Compassion. When my dad passed away, Robin, I gave up my dream. I, I don't, I didn't have the mental bandwidth or the physical bandwidth to bring something from scratch and move up. So I got a cold call from a company called Career Transitions asking if I wanted to own my own company. Hey, have you thought about franchises? And I said, no, I don't want to flip burgers. I'm thinking McDonald's and Burger King. Right. And it was a service. There was a lot of service franchises out there. 
So I did the whole process with a franchise advisor. I ended up buying a Schooly Mitchell franchise, business to business cost reduction, and tried to mold that into a profit compassion. So the point behind that was if I can help people, you know, business owners improve their financial health of their business, that's what profit compassion was. It wasn't until three and a half years later, basically on August 2nd, when I walked away from the franchise that I realized profit compassion is that we can all profit from being compassionate. And so I am going out there to spread compassion and and we're all gonna profit by it. And so that's really, so I've created a men supporting men collaboration tribe. It's a curated community where men, it's all virtual, but men have a place to go if they wanna ask for help, support, guidance, mentors, because men don't ask for help. And so that's that's what I've just started. <laughs> so I'm back to square one, starting that's, something up again. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's an extraordinary way to take your experience of adversity, surviving mm-hmm. it, and and really just trying to help others get through theirs. So that's awesome. Thank you. So if you could look back, how would you say that this storm of, of adversity that you that you weathered, how do you think coming out the other side affected your overall health and well-being? Uh, your mindset, maybe the way you look at things? Yeah, that's a good question because when I was in the thick of it all, I kind of gave up on every aspect of my health. You would think, I went to church every day, you would think that when faced with adversity, you would would go, you know, move yourself towards Mm -hmm. those entities that had always been there for you. I moved away from the church. Obviously, my dad was gone. So that rocked my faith. Before my learning of the divorce, I was at my goal weight and Weight Watchers. I probably gained 40, 35 pounds during the whole mediation period to my highest weight I've ever been. I ended up having to go on high cholesterol medication and blood pressure medications, not not fun. So I gave up my physical health, my spiritual health, and as far as my emotional health, that was already shot. So, oh yeah, I mean that, and then to get myself, I mean, I was pretty deep in that rabbit hole and I think it was, Again, I was looking at my kids and realizing, you know, I, I need I, if I if I have to care for them, I'm going to have to start caring for myself. And I started on the easiest thing, which was trying to lose easiest in the sense, but trying to lose weight because if I just cut down on a few, so I, you know, I not where I want to be, but that started, and then I started getting energy back, and I started walking. So, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's going to have to have that one thing they start with. But right. it was a multiple multiple things. I wanted to put my spiritual life, my physical life, and my emotional life back together again. And it was really when I really found my purpose that why do I want to get out of bed in the morning? I love the hugs from my three kids in the morning. That's number one. But number two is let me tell my story because I hate to think that there's many men like me not wanting to get up in the morning. And uh, if I could help them put their two feet on the floor and stand up easier the next day, then then that's that's really what, what got me going. And so for me now, my mindset is one of gratefulness. I wake up in the morning and I ask my, I, I, I actually am able to be aware what my first thought is in the morning. And if it's a negative thought, I control my thoughts. I let my thoughts control me though during all this. So mm-hmm. now it's just that shift that 
to get out of my head bad thought you know right. and i think of the things i'm grateful about and then i can set my day accordingly but if we're not aware of our first thought if the first thought's negative that carries us through the whole day right right well thanks very much drew this has been a eye-opening story of transformation i'm i'm thrilled for you i am thrilled that you're doing what you're doing and and how that is just bringing hope and inspiration to others so thank you so much really appreciate mm-hmm. you being here You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Robin. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, listeners. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please follow us, like us, and share us. Tell your friends. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today at The Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.